Welcome back to the Snack Walls Podcast. I'm Mike Roberts, your host, and we're here to talk about increasing and maintaining diversity in tech beyond the perks. While companies think they can lure people in with unlimited PTO and dogs in the office, we're here to talk about how you keep them. All right, I'm going to throw it over to our special guest today. Can you tell us in a few sentences who you are and what it is that you do? Sure. Thank you, Mike. Uh, my name is Sergio Moreau, and I'm managing partner of Rebel One. Uh, Rebel One, we are uh, an investor network and an impact fund, uh, investing in startups that are uh, diverse, um, and then also helping their diverse teams. So related to the subject at hand. So thanks, Mike. Nice. Appreciate that. Um, all that hard work is going to create tons of opportunity. So I love hearing stories from folks that are doing this kind of work. Um, in the in the in this space, I'm hearing from some tech leaders that finding diverse talent is a challenge. Um, what are your thoughts? You need, I, I think it's, uh, it's all, some of it is lip service. Uh, and, and you, it, people say you need to like hire a wire, right? Like, it, like it, you could say it's important all you want. You can make office hours and you could source candidates. Um, but the, the real, the real test is, are you moving to, to make offers and hire people and put them on your team, or at least for investors, are you just, are you putting the money? Are you investing? Uh, And, um, you know, a way to find diverse talent um, is to actually staff um, recruiters and and things like that, that are, that are on your team that are also diverse because they bring those networks, right? So if you want more women or more people of color, put your money where your mouth is, uh, you know, and, and, you know, hire those people onto your team. If you don't have a recruiter, there are plenty of organizations that that you can partner with from, um, you know, Jopwell, MLT. It depends where in the world you are, right? There's there's um, different organizations, but um, you just you need to ask <laughs> that. Um, but but at the end of the day, it's not um, not paying it lip service. Um, and um, and 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 one thing that we look at, at least for investors, is. Uh, is we tell them, you know, not don't do something nominal like making office hours or writing a blog or doing something in media so you're seen as making an impact and not really moving the needle. Like that is uh, unapologetically something that you're doing to make yourself feel good um, and you're not really solving the problem um, at hand. So, you know, it takes action and that's what we, uh, you know, push people to bias toward that. Nice. I'm all about taking action. I mean, the lip service I've had, had it up to here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But um, I think there's plenty for us to do. And so um, when I think about that, I do hear from some tech leaders that um, they want to push to remove things like the requirement for CS degrees to lower some of those barriers. So what do you think about that? The effort to remove the requirements uh, for engineering roles to have a CS degree? That No, that's a great, um, great question. For and just to give a little context of of my background, I've innovated mostly in the the ed tech space, education technology space. Have seen trends in, in higher education. I actually did a uh, while well, did research at at Harvard on um, equal access to higher education and did a TEDx talk at University of Princeton called "The Degree Is Dead." So I have a, a, a much more uh, a very strong opinion that um, <clears throat> that. Uh, higher education and degrees aren't accessible to all people. Um, even in the United States, you're talking about depending on the type of degree you're looking at. Um, you know, like 35. So between 30 and 40 percent, if you're looking at two or four year degrees, um, have 
access to higher education or have a degree, and you're just eliminating a huge swath of the population that hasn't had the capital or um, or just you know just has had the resources to to get um, a degree. Um, then you're you know the next level of question is is uh, more often than not what is being taught in the classroom is is very far away from what's needed in the field. Um, really excited by efforts um, by you know look at edX, you look at Coursera, you look at um, there's a, a a few other uh, Southern New Hampshire University which is known for their online program um, that makes it uh, you know more affordable. Um, but the most recent is probably the the uh, Google um, is is pushing to um, to create their own program that you pay fifty dollars a month for. You get certified and you learn everything you need, and you can get a job with them. And that's the type of innovation it's going to take. It's going to come from employers saying, you know, we don't need this arbitrary, um, you know, piece of paper. We're really going to look at what you can do. What's tough is they'll get a lot of applicants, and they're un sure uh in a uh, they have a lack of sophistication of how to filter down the candidates really quickly which is why um they use degrees right now so like empathizing with where they are and, and they're trying to understand how to differentiate candidates but at the same time i think the idea to question degrees especially now right like it, people aren't going to pay you know 30 60 grand to go to a virtual um, university to get <laughs> where they're not interacting with people, not networking. Um, and maybe some are, I think many people still are, but it really calls to question the value of what you're getting that you're like, wow, I'm really paying for a piece of paper, a brand. Um, sure. and, and you're like, what am I learning that I couldn't learn on my own by myself or with less expensive programs? Yeah, absolutely. I, and I feel like that ROI, um, conversation is like happening much more frequently now. And it's kind of just thrown in our face. Whereas before it was kind of, you know, just slightly below the surface, people were trying to make a decision about, should I take on this much debt? The conversation was usually framed around debt. And now it's much more tangible. Like, what are we actually getting at value back for the tuition that we're paying? So I think capping it off, capping off your answer with that, I think is, um, is, is brilliant. People are making different assessments today than they were making even a year ago from a consumer standpoint. So um, what about an apprenticeship pattern? Do you think that would work for tech roles? Uh, I think, I think for tech and design, it's, I think those are the first, it's already happening, right? Um, so I'll give you an example. When you're looking at hiring someone for a tech role, the first thing you look at, or one of the first things you look at are um, their commits to GitHub. Um, you're looking at for, for designers, you're looking at um, their, um, you know, profiles on, you know, like their, their profiles on the Adobe platform that, that are public with, with some of their, um, or, or, uh, for, let's say, even if it's motion graphics, you're looking at their real, right. You're, you're defaulting to the work that they've done and samples sure. of that. Um, I think, it, I think tech and design, it's already like, that's already going to convert and has been converting. And, um, I think it's a, I think it's a low barrier entry for the, the market to just move into to doing that. I think the other areas, if you're hiring for someone in business or someone in marketing or someone, it, that's a little harder. That's not, hasn't been standardized. Um, it's hard to, uh, <clears throat> it's really hard to assess. That's why people end up 
um, hiring, you know, they, they're like, oh, okay, where have you worked in the past? And then they'll, they'll hire you because they're assumed you've been trained up. So um, I think uh, short answer, I think tech and, and design are, um, it's already happening and it will, uh, I'm glad that it's um, almost becoming more public about it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think for a long time, there's been this, you know, summer internship philosophy of bringing people on and then being able to tangibly assess what's their portfolio look like? What are they capable of by just looking at their work, looking at the work product? And so I think it makes total sense to me that you'd be able to better assess and then sort of funnel them into programs that feed on that and give them the opportunity to have some mentorship and some direct learning about how to perform the job by doing pieces of the job throughout the process. So. Big advocate, big fan. I like it. Um, what advice would you share with companies that are looking to retain diverse staff? So let's say they do a great job onboarding people, providing opportunities for folks to get into the organization. How do you keep them? That's a great. I think what it really comes down to is at the simplest level, no matter um, where you look, is is enabling people to to feel like they can be their real selves where they are. Uh, I, I think it's, it's to, and, and this speaks even generationally. Um, I, I think in larger organizations, there may be a culture to be more polite than direct. Uh, I, and um, it's <clears throat> it, giving people that space. Like there may be uh, cultural norms in, um, in meetings that you have to operate a certain way, but um, especially in the digital environment now, hosting, meetings that are just happy hours or just just or just social and even though it seems like the icebreakers may be you know elementary or things like that like isolating it saying there'll be no business on this call and um and getting a little bit more personal with um you know people i think it humanizes it um so in a digital environment you have to be intentional about the what we call in terms of the future work is is um the, the, you have to structure on serendipi uh, serendipitous time. So where you would have a water cooler or you would pass by someone's desk, um, it is not the culture to just video chat someone or FaceTime someone in the middle of the day, right? Like not always. Um, it, it seems uh, intrusive. Um, we're stopping by someone's desk doesn't. Um, so it's, it's when you don't have that in the digital environment, it's even more important to, to make feet, uh, meet people where they are. Um, and, um, and, and I think those are the, and, and really listen to them. Uh, so I think like a lot of like letting people express themselves in the way they express themselves, um, listening and, and understanding like what, what, uh, people want. Um, I, I have a hard time. I, I think right now, a lot of companies are going to say, Hey, I want more people to come back to a physical workplace. And I have a feeling that, um, there's going to be a, many people that are just going to say no, or, or like, why, what, like why and how often do I need to be there? Um, and it's really important to listen to that. What's going on in the workplace? Um, or what does this space enable, um, in their lives, uh, that, that, um, be coming to a physical workplace every day doesn't. So Sergio, I love that answer because <laughs> yeah. again, it all focuses around space and it's such a, dichotomy from where we were like last year. Right. And so the, this is definitely the future of work. I agree. <laughs> and I think we're moving more in this direction of people. I mean, let's face it. A lot of software engineers, really, this is one of the biggest perks they were usually asking for. Like, can I work remote? Can I work from home? Like, can I have that flexibility in the schedule? And so I agree. Folks are not going to want to shift back. Although there could be a good number of people that do want that 
maybe you know three or four days in the office and one day at home or, or vice versa. So having that flexibility and listening to your team, because every team's culture is going to be different, I think is going to be super important. So yeah, and, and I was going to say an example for, um, you know, personal example, uh, our, t- our program, we do run an investor training program. We run it virtually. So I can be in, you know, multiple locations, was in the New York area. And then it got to a point where um, me and my partner said, hey, I want to go, want to go elsewhere. Um, and then ended up, but we, I didn't quit or she didn't, you know, it's like we, we didn't, we, we kept working, but we ended up moving to, um, what is it for uh, temporarily to Chicago and we're on our way to LA and, and the work can continue and it's enabling that flexibility, that freedom, um, at that, that, um, you know, a, 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 it makes people happy, but also work until can still continue. And I think it's a hard concept for, um, you know, older businesses to wrap their mind around. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and some of it is intrinsic in like the nature of the business that we do. And like, being an employer, you have to look out for things like every state may have different rules and regulations regarding Absolutely. employment rules. And so an individual might think, well, it's no big deal for me to move to a different state. Like I can work remote. And the HR department is like, yeah, but now we have to figure out all these new rules that we have to follow in this new environment because it's where you live, not where we do business. Right. So there are those pieces that I think more of the public is becoming aware of and they understand can have similarly empathy for the organizations that have to make a shift to make that available because it's not it's not necessarily all that challenging but mm-hmm. it is new decisions that have to be made and new systems that have to be set up and things like that so all right one more question and then the most important question so okay um, who's someone like yourself that you think you'd like to acknowledge as a thought leader and should be a guest on a podcast like this oh absolutely so um man there's there's so so many um but uh one individual that i would uh, like to highlight that I that I think is excellent to talk about the future work is uh, Roy Bahad. He's head of uh, Bloomberg Beta, uh, and um, you know admire his his candor and his approach. Um, he's uh, always talking to communities of, of investors um, because that's you know the kind of the ethos that that he backs. So um, you know, think he's excellent, and and I'm really um, you know r- really excited uh, by by some of the work. Um, he's doing so yeah i'd recommend uh roy nice all right so he's on the radar see if we can get him on the program um where can we find out more information about what you're doing your company absolutely yeah uh rbl1 uh rebel one uh that's our website um if you are a uh early stage founder um looking for funding or, or support um we talk to early stage founders and and um syndicate investments into them uh mostly aligned with the future of work but we talk to uh, found, uh, underrepresented founders uh, and women founders broadly. Um, and then on the other side, if you are an investor, we have a, a, a angel and VC intensive training program. Um, that is what, what runs the engine to do all the good work we do. Um, so that's a, a 10 week process going from, I don't know what I'm doing to, to fund construction and, and deploying capital. So, um, you know, check us out at rbl1.com. Uh, and, you know, and thanks for having me, Mike. So it's awesome. Love it. So, before you go, quick mm-hmm. question: What have you been snacking on lately? What's your favorite snack? Oh man! So uh, I am. It sounds it's gonna sound pretty funny, but um, I one of my favorite things is actually smoothies. So I <laughs> every, are good. every morning I uh, I, I have a, a what is it a, a ninja and I I put in a, what is it? Uh, it's like ginger oranges, a bunch of fruit, and and blend it up, and that's that's been my snack. But if a, if people are looking for 
um, you know, what's what's uh, uh, homemade uh, something simple rather than and that like bananas and uh, and almond butter. Those are like go to. <laughs> nice, I like that. I'm a cyclist, so I eat a lot of bananas. So there you go. Got to keep the legs fresh. So. That's it. Thanks again, Sergio. I appreciate you coming on the program. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. The San Diego Code School is a proud sponsor of the Snack Walls podcast. The San Diego Code School is leading companies to tech equity. The tech-enabled apprenticeship program is a venture whose heart is to do a lot of social good and do good work. You can help San Diego Code School secure funding for change by hiring developers, bringing a team in to relieve your backlog, or becoming a program sponsor. You can visit us on the web for more information at http colon forward slash forward slash sdcs.io. 